You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, the podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, gangster rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I'm Buzz Knight. I'm the host of the Taking a Walk uh, podcast series, and I'm over the moon thrilled to be here in Nashville for a series of Taking a Walk episodes. And uh, I hope you follow us wherever you find your podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever. Today, our guest is a singer-songwriter who is on a roll with his third release on Triple Tiger Records, self-titled LP3, Russell Dickerson is our guest on Taking a Walk. Welcome, Russell. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for being here. Now, how long do I have to know you before I can say RD? Three seconds. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Absolutely. Just like everyone in Nashville, you make me feel at home immediately. Yeah, Yeah, where are you from? I'm from the Boston area. God, I hear it now. No, Boston. oh please! Oh, just when you said Boston, I didn't grow up there. I grew Boston. up in Stanford, Connecticut, so okay. outside of New York City. I'm still but, up uh, there, yeah, still, still up, up there. there. It was way up there. <laughs> still considered up there. So, congratulations on the role you are on. Thanks, uh, man. Do you feel the pressure of trying to top yourself uh, after your recent success, and then when your next success happens? I mean. Yeah, I guess a little bit, but not like like exciting pressure, you know, like if we if we never hit the the mark again, like we've had a great run, but you know, it's there's definitely more to come for sure. And it's just it's just uh, an exciting pressure to even have this much success in the first place, you know. So, uh yeah, a little bit, but I like it. I like pressure. I think people use that energy uh, of pressure mm-hmm. mostly to their advantage. Some people 
freak out about it, yeah. but I think it sounds like you've got it well under control. Yeah, absolutely. RD. I do. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. So you're a student of, uh, of the 90s and the 2000 country oh, yeah. star scene. Absolutely. Tell me about some of those influencers for you. I mean, first and foremost, Garth Brooks. You know, that's that would be my my number one. Just just the the songs, the the entertainment aspect. Like I love the live show aspect of my career and put everything into that. Um, and I learned that from him. Like to see his tours and his uh, his like just his theatrics and his performances like that's I think that's why he's still selling tickets selling out stadiums to this day is is that connection with the fan in the in the live environment and so that's probably the most foundational influence in my in my music and then Tim McGraw is probably probably number two of, of the songs and the 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 voice you know like his i got to tour with tim mcgraw all summer this this year and just to watch him and to be on tour with one of my heroes was insane i learned so much and third would probably be i mean michael jackson uh oh <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> Curveball. <laughs> Curveball. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I just I love Michael Jackson, man. I love his like the percussiveness of his music and his songs and just the epicness of his songs and obviously stage presence as well. So in terms of performers though that you've seen, obviously mm -hmm. you'd rank Garth, Tim, and then did you ever see MJ in performance? No, yeah. no, never saw MJ live, I wish. Um, stage presence? Yeah, I mean, Keith Urban is way up there for me, too. Like, the epitome of entertainer, for sure. And how he does it, playing guitar as well, is, like, mind-blowing to me. He does such a great job. So when you were out with Tim McGraw, what did you learn even by osmosis from a guy like that while you were with him a lot oh man well first of all he always said it's it's all about the songs songs are the first step to anything else and that really stuck with me um and second was me and my wife talk about it we call it like tim mcgraw on stage he just sticks it and because me, I'm I'm all over the place. I'm I'm over here. I'm over there. I'm out front. I'm in the back. I'm on the drums. You know, whatever. And Tim McGraw just goes out there, sticks it. He'll, he'll just like nod his cowboy hat or something, and everybody just loses it. You know. And I'm like, dang, there's something so powerful about just like owning the moment and owning the song and just standing there. Because when I first started performing, like nobody knew who I was, nobody knew my song, so I had to go out there and entertain them in some way. Uh, and so I was like, all right, well, we're just going to put on a great live show. And then, you know, as things build and people, you know, start having a, as I have a couple hits and stuff, I realize that, like, I can just stick it now. Like, I, they know the song. I don't have to... 
you know, teach them the lyrics or do anything to, to egg them on. Like, they're here to hear these songs. And so I really learned that, especially with, like, yours and Love You Like I Used To, more of the the ballad-leaning songs. Like, just stick it, man. Let them sing it. Sing to them and just own that moment. Is it a bit like the zone, like athletes talk about Absolutely. when you're performing? Yeah, yeah. It really is. Like, there's this just, like, adrenaline takeover that happens. Do you ever get out there and then go, hmm, it doesn't feel completely right at this moment, but I'm going to pull it off. It's not going to deter me. Is there ever moments that you have to, like, call an audible? Yeah, sometimes. You know, we'll have, depending on crowds, and, you know, we've always got little, like, changes built in that we can... We can like, oh, like, hey, let's skip, let's skip to this song because I feel like they would vibe that or like, you know, this song. Yeah, I don't know. Like, they, we have stuff built into our set to where we can tweak on the fly and you know, call an audible and be like, uh, oh, dude, what about this song? Like, we should let's pop this one in there. I think they'd love it. Or yeah, yeah, and that and there's enough of a camaraderie, obviously, with your with your your band mm-hmm. and the whole yeah. close-knit nature yeah. that everybody can kind of read the signs, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How much fun is it, though, being out there? Oh, I love it. That's my favorite part about it. Like, just especially now, like having, well, even with Tim McGraw, we had a 50-minute set, and this was the first time ever in my career that I was able to play a majority of my set was hits. That's the first time that's ever happened for me, and uh, to it's just a whole different ball game now to go out there and start off with "Home Sweet" and then go straight into every little thing, and then you know play a couple songs, and then boom, yours, and then "Love You Like I Used To," "Blue Tacoma." She liked like just it was this new experience for me as a performer to have. A majority of my set songs that people knew because for so long nobody knew anything like I said it's like you just had to keep going and teach it to them or, or just play it and hope they like it but yeah that was that was an amazing experience with Tim McGraw that people knowing all the songs do you remember your first performance in concert Poof. the first one like full band I think that I remember was playing my hometown's county fair. I think that was uh the first time. I got I got a bunch of my buddies together. We hopped in my aunt's RV. We drove 3 hours. We piled everybody in the family, everybody. And How many we, people did you fit? Oh gosh. I mean, probably at least 12. <laughs> six, there was like 6 people in the band. And we just played played the uh, yeah the county fair and you know I had like three four songs at the time so we played a bunch of covers and all that stuff and that was like the first like Russell Dickerson show I think nobody would book me obviously but you know I knew people in my hometown that would that would let me play the fair. Did you ever have doubts uh, early on? No. Not really. I was, it was never like, it was never like, is this ever going to happen? It was just like, 
when like how long how especially further down the road like before you know like 2014 15 even 16 like when you know we've been grinding we've been grinding and grinding and like when is it gonna pop like what's the tipping point and you just gotta keep writing keep playing keep hustling and then we had yours come out and then it all changed from there but as a man of great faith, you know, if there's low moments, mm-hmm. you call upon faith, right? Absolutely, yeah. Got to have faith in something greater than yourself, you know. Faith in God and faith in yourself, and that's what I think kept me going this whole time. Well, let's talk about a difficult time, the years of, as we would call it, the pandemic years. Mm-hmm. Uh, how difficult was that as a, a creative artist? Yeah, I mean, I think it came at, for me personally, it came at such a, there's two ways to look at it. Like, as I'm on the rise, you know, as I'm coming up and coming up, it's like, boom, shut down. But also, I think I needed it so bad because this was, I mean, we started probably 2013, 14 like touring all the time and so this is year seven year seven of of just grind and i didn't realize how much i needed that just to not be touring four days a week and be home and just just enough to do laundry and um it really gave me time to think and reflect and prepare and kind of catch my breath with this new album honestly to to like this is i feel like this is the first album where i really go back in time and dig up old memories from high school and college and um all that stuff so it really did give me time to to reflect and i mean my wife was pregnant all of 2020 we had our we had our son in september and it was just like such a perfect time to be home and be there together and just prepare for parenthood. Yeah, my sense is creatively, you really used it during that time to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly. to I was finishing up Southern Symphony, my second album. Um, that was Everything was already recorded, so we were just mixing and mastering. So that was like the first part of the pandemic. And then after that, man, I just just really tried to... I mean, yes, I did get stir-crazy because we couldn't perform and it was frustrating. But I knew, I kept telling myself, I'm like, dude, you're going to wish you had this time off it come 2021, 22. And I do. Like, I, like I miss... I would love a week off right now, you know? I would love that. Um and so, yeah, it's just like it really, it really was a time to, to just accept the fact that no one can tour, no one can play, and just uh, make the best of it, and and really kind of hibernate and just store up for you know for the years to come. So, walk me through the songwriting process. You had a lot of great. Uh, uh, collaborators on uh, well all your 
releases, but this one in particular, mm -hmm. the one that I noted was Lori McKenna. Oh yeah. Right? So legend. So walk me through a typical day in the songwriting process with somebody like a like a Lori McKenna. Mm -hmm. um, what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, honestly, there it's so different. It's so varying. Um, with Lori, she lives in, I think she lives in Connecticut. She lives somewhere she, up northeast she, Boston. I, I know had a Boston area okay, history Boston, for Boston. a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so it was me and Casey, my producer, and we were at his house, and she zoomed in. And first time ever writing with Lori, super excited, kind of nervous, you know. And, like, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a connection person, so it's like I never really got down with the Zoom rights and everything. I'm like, I just I need to be in person. Um, but she's just so calming and so easygoing and no like, all right, let's, let's go, let's, let's get this song or whatever. She's just like, just down with the process. And I don't know who had the song title, but, uh, we just kind of started playing, play, I started playing this progression on the guitar and, um, somebody had Maybe it was Casey had the the title idea, and I just that's that's just when I, I feel like I kind of if I if I catch onto a song idea I can sing a chorus just just down like hopefully you know with something worth saving, and yeah we just kind of started building like thinking about all the little cute things that my wife does and the things that make me smile and that I love about her and we just like kind of just built this song obviously from nothing and uh yeah i was like wow after the ride i was like wow she really is Lori mckenna you know like she's she's just that good and it was so easy and um and which song was that that was just like your mama yeah the last one on the yeah. album yeah yeah and uh do you think you'll collaborate with her uh again? absolutely yeah yeah what is it about this this nashville community that is so um tight-knit and uh, collaborative and welcoming. Um, what makes it so special? Um, I just think how real everybody is. Like, other places, they're so self-seeking. And I think the, I think Nashville is just like, yeah, we're, we're songwriters. We're in the business. So it's like, that's not the ultimate achievement in life like kids and family and marriage and faith and like all of this stuff comes into play and I just feel like people in Nashville have realized that like a number one hit is not the end all be all to happiness you know it's like having a having a grounded life having community around you and I just think there's a lot of humility in this in this community that um, is appreciated and practiced. So um, there's a regular listener of this podcast and that is at the um, favorite Italian restaurant in my hometown called Fiorella's. Her name's Sheridan. Sheridan, yes. And Sheridan's a fan. Come on. In particular, she likes it. Yeah. Loves that. 
So Sheridan got a shout out. Shout she's gonna out. Be, she's going to be it. pretty thrilled. So tell me about uh, that song and sort of the uh, collaboration on, on that one. Yeah. So I met Jake through Josh Kerr, who produced a third of this record. And uh, he posted a song that Jake, him and Jake wrote. I was like, dude, this is so good. We got to write. And he came to town once. We wrote great song came back again and the second song we wrote ever together was she likes it and it was just like it's so easy and fun obviously just like the song and uh when we were done so my studio is just down the hill from our house and we get we go back up to the house and my wife never listens to music like over the speakers and like she's cooking dinner and we walk in and she's playing john denver on the speakers right after we wrote this song talking about playing John Denver on the speakers like I was like what is happening this is this is not real and so that was just a fun like kind of confirmation of like hey this song might be something and uh that was just like yeah wow what a moment yeah holy smoke crazy that is outrageous yeah why is music so special? Why is music such a unifying, special force in our life? Can oh, you geez. can you get to the bottom of this? Because um, I can't. I mean, I don't know, man. I feel like music is the only thing. Music and film, I think, are probably the only two like consumable things that can give you like. The chill bumps and tears and there's some sort of like vulnerable storytelling aspect I think with music that just like can can touch your soul that like any other form of media can. I think that's pretty uh-huh. pretty pretty right. It's a deep question. Yeah. I, I well I I mean. I often think, where would we be without it? Yeah. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. as as beings on this mm-hmm. earth for as long as we've been here, and mm-hmm. it it moves us, it shakes I, us. It, I think, yeah, I think it's just inside of every human. Like, if you even go back to cave days, you know, they were making drums and they were making music back then. Like, it's this something. It's something that has to come out of us and. As an artist, like so many guys have come up to me and like, dude, yours is exactly what I want to say to my wife, but I didn't know the words to say. And there's just like something inside of them that is let out through the music that I created. What would you have done if you weren't a musician? Mm, Probably be a sommelier. I love wine. <laughs> that or just like a serial entrepreneur. You didn't flinch when you said the sommelier. So. Yeah. I'd be, yeah. I'd do something with wine. You would? I'd be a, a winemaker or a... That'd be amazing. Just live in Napa Valley, run a farm, make some wine, <laughs> have, a, have a black lab with me all the time running through the vineyard. <laughs> Sounds like the life, dude. It's quite a scene. Yeah. Right? Top three John Denver songs of Ooh. all time. You don't have to rank them. Just, I mean, well, dude, I will. Annie's song, number one. 
That's one of the best songs ever. Um, then I'll go. Two is tough. Sunshine on my shoulder, maybe. Not a bad one. I'm just thinking of the ones that give me the most feels. That one, and then leaving on a jet plane. Probably be my top three. All right. Yeah. I mean, they're all. It's hard. All to, it's hard to. Uh, yeah. You know. That's why. Country said, Roads wasn't even in there. I know. You could do five. Yeah. <laughs> Country Road, and then. Did I say Rocky Mountain High yet? No. That's it. <laughs> Top five. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Russell Dickerson, thanks for being here. Absolutely, man. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Yes. Thank you. Taking a Walk with Buzz Knight is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the Gangster Chronicles, hosted by MC8 and Big Steel. It's every Thursday, already a know. podcast that aims to unravel the intricate tapestry of one of music's most influential and misunderstood subgenres, Gangster Rap. Let's go. Gangster Chronicles unpacks the evolution of this uniquely American art form, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wooden! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh. Oh. Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.